Welcome to Inspector Goals, the pod that tries to improve our FPL play for a more analytical approach. Uh, we have come to the end of game week 20. I think I got that right. Eventually, it seemed like an everlasting one. Uh, the hope was there for me and Sam going into Man City Spurs. Didn't really materialise. Another tragic game week for us both. Aside from that, Sam, <laughs> how are you doing? Yeah, apart from that, I'm doing really well. Yeah. Just played some football this evening, which is good fun. Just got back from five aside about 45 minutes ago, which is all good. Uh, it's the weekend, which is great. So thanks to anyone for tuning in, considering it's a Friday. Uh, that's really, yeah, nice of you, considering as well. I don't think there's many decisions to make this week for most people. I think most people are rolling. So I guess we're going bigger picture with stuff. And yeah, in terms of, yeah, FPL, I went to uh, the Manchester FPL meets. Uh, that was that was last weekend, yeah, that was for the Manchester Derby, which was really good. I really enjoyed it. There was about maybe 12 to 15 of us there. Just good to meet some people in person that I've chatted to online before and meet new people as well. Um, it was really good fun. So anyone listening, if you have, there's ever a chance to do anything like that, I'd really recommend it. Um, and then other FPL-wise, yeah, similar to you, mate, I got 69 points this week, which is OK. It was basically a grey arrow at my rank, which is not very good at the moment, about 600k. Uh, but I'm on, I think, six red arrows in a row now. <laughs> and <laughs> before that run, I was 100k and it was looking good. So it's not going well. It just feels like there's lots of, like all the contentious things each week, all the little 50-50s just are going against me at the moment, I feel. But also a couple of bad decisions, I think, as well. Don't know, and to be honest, the, the ones this week, like the Saka assist, I actually, if you look at the FPL rules, actually, even though I own him, I do agree with him not getting that assist, even though it feels like it shouldn't be one. Whereas the Edison one is the one that really pained me because I just feel that, based on their rules, uh, I don't think the defender ever had control of the ball or, or had possession. I thought that was an assist. So that, that was the one I'm really frustrated about. And also the Mitrovic penalty miss. But so is life. Yeah, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, that's a lot to take in. I heard you banged four goals in your in your game as well. I wish I triple captained you rather than Harlem, <laughs> put it that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, similar to you, mate. I've seven red arrows in the last nine fixtures for me. So it, it, it it's actually from game week 12. So just before, really, uh, a few a few weeks before, we actually broke for the World Cup. It's been pretty yeah. tragic. At that point, I was 10K game week 11. Game week 12 went to 11K. I'm now currently sat at 200K. Just constant, okay. constant stream of reds. It It's... um. It's a combination of things, like like you said. I think there's definitely, as far as I'm concerned, some bad luck. I think there's been quite a hell of a, hell of a lot, but also a couple of bad, a couple of bad mistakes usually that go in, hand in hand with it, um, which I think we're going to talk about in a bit. One of them, both of us made, which was Luke Shaw. I think just just ignoring that one <laughs> at various times. I can, I can still justify the reasons. I think, and it's extremely hard to separate the outcome, isn't it, from from the decision here because. Obviously, the outcome was horrendous, but you you can't always just say, okay, you know, his variance, therefore I made the right decision. I've got the logic or reasons as why I do it, but when I look back in hindsight, I'm not sure they were overly correct. So I think I have to question it, and that's what part of this game's about, isn't it? Is looking at those things and and seeing if you can try and cut them out of your play or adjust it for next time. But yeah, overall, um, just happy that we're sort of over this period of. of confusion I think with with myself and my team like every week going into it I kind of had an issue because I, I didn't set myself up well you know having Chalaber and stuff like that which you just didn't play mm-hmm. that's another error caused me all sorts of issues but <clears throat> hopefully I'm liking my team at the moment we've just had the announcement of the double game week 22 uh, provisionally um, assuming they get through in the cup 
So, yeah, time to start sitting down and planning. And um, you've got us a, a schedule, haven't you, for, for today, pretty much. You're going to talk us through what we're going to talk about. Yes. Yeah, I guess today, because of what I mentioned before, I don't think there's many people making transfers this game week based on what I've seen on Twitter and stuff like that. A lot of people rolling the transfer, um, I guess, because a lot of people used their transfers last week and also because we might get news on double game weeks or we will get news on double game weeks. I think, after this game week. Um, so because of that, we will obviously discuss, because some, some people making trans, will be making transfers, so lots of stuff will apply to that, but we're going to look a bit more at like big picture stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to initially look at some of the uh, projected points for teams for the rest of the season, which is based on market odds, and discuss the things that, that are there that stand out to us. Then we're going to go back from the future. <laughs> We're going to go back a bit further and just look at the last six weeks. And we've got a graphic from We Rogue that shows the, the team ratings defensively and in terms of attack uh, and how they've changed over the last six weeks. Have we learned anything more recently about teams? Then we've got a comparison with similar data, but comparing this season, just this season to last season. I'm going to, again, going to chat a bit more big picture about uh, what's changed in terms of the quality of the teams now that we're at a point where, not quite, but most teams have played everyone once. Mm. So it's kind of, Kind of, in terms of fixtures, it's kind of caught up now. Um, so it's as close to halfway as we're going to get, pretty much, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Apart from the, the there was the postponed fixtures, wasn't there? So it's not quite there. No, um, it's some teams are well, <laughs> oh yeah, a slightly different amount of games, but it's never um, going to so, be perfectly level, unfortunately. Yeah, and we'll we'll discuss that, but also discuss, uh, you know, based on the football we've watched, based on new signings, new managers, etc. What do we expect to change now? What do we expect might stay the same? Uh, based on just uh, what we've seen and what we see in the data. And then I, I believe then Luke's got a graphic that goes even further back like that, looking at um, past seasons, even going five seasons back to make more of a general point about clean sheets and then standard chat about captaincy and a bit of stuff on Man City as well uh, also. So, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it should be an interesting one. Hopefully so. Um, let's move on straight away then. So let's get up this graphic from, this is from uh, at Rob, TFPL on Twitter hmm. uh, and it's to do with the market projection so uh, I don't know if you want to talk us through it Sam if you're obviously listening on the pod it makes sense to to go to the video for this one because it's probably too hard to actually explain but uh, Sam will give it his best go yeah so this is a graphic we've used from uh, we've used graphics from Rob before I saw this one this week and just thought it was interesting because I think what this graphic shows probably there are a few different teams that stand out that probably go about what go against what our current perceptions are of the team. So, yeah, for those listening, basically, we're just looking at a graphic of uh, all the teams in the league, how many points they have so far, but then what their projected points total is um, between now and the end of the season. So we can see their total point at the end of the season. That's based on spread market projections. So based on, I believe that's based on like a variety of different betting odds, which a lot of the time is our best guess. It's all based on data. There's a reason why people lose <laughs> when they bet against the bookies. Um, and then the other column we can see is the rest of the season points per game. So you can just see in order the teams that they expect uh, to get the most points between now and the end of the season. And I guess there were just a couple of things I wanted to highlight here that are interesting because we, anyway, like me personally, and I think most people have this perception that Liverpool are really bad at the moment. And they like definitely are significantly worse than they were last season. They're playing poorly. There's all sorts of potential reasons like injuries, probably like an ageing team, particularly midfield, uh, due to maybe complacency and not signing players in the summer. Um, 
yeah, on this graphic, they're second behind Man City in terms of points projection for the rest of the season. So they're at 1.99 points per game. That's what the market thinks they'll get between now and the end of the season. Man City way ahead on 2.31 and Arsenal just behind Liverpool on 1.91. <clears throat> and I guess, yeah, I just, I just, just find that interesting. That would still have, <clears throat> excuse me, that would still have Arsenal and City finishing way ahead of Liverpool. But it's just interesting that they expect Liverpool to improve compared to how they're currently playing at the moment. And one of the main reasons for that will be the fact it's based on more long-term data um, and more underlying data. And I think Liverpool have, well, they've underperformed their XG, a lot of that because of Darwin's finishing, but we don't know if that's going to continue. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And and But even just the fact it's 1.99 and 1.91, the fact that Arsenal even that close to them in itself is impressive and shows how much that Arsenal, Arsenal have improved um, as well, in my opinion. Another couple of things on here that I, that I think are interesting are um, it, they think that United will get more points than Chelsea and, uh, and Newcastle and Spurs between now and the end of the season. So expect um, they expect Man United to finish uh, third and Newcastle to finish fourth. Um, and then at the bottom of the league as well, the team we'll come on to again is Everton, Forest and Bournemouth are the three they expect to get the least points between now and the end of the season. I think we'll move on to Everton a bit later. Because <clears throat> again, I, I, I just think that there's, there's definitely a thing that happens where we think of teams in our heads. This is like definitely a psychological thing. And someone like FBL Raptor who studies psychology would be able to talk and talk about it in better detail than me. But I definitely find that I sometimes have a perception of teams just based on the club name. Like in my head, Everton are just a mid-table Premier League team. Like they, they just they just are because that's that's what they've been for years, and you and even last season when they like when Lampard came in I expected oh they'll never go down they're Everton, whereas I think we're at a point in the season where that's a real possibility and we should think about like targeting their defence etc. Um, as well, so I just think it, it's probably helpful to uh, think through because it probably reduces uh, and goes against the grain in terms of our more recent uh, perceptions, but also in terms of just zooming out and looking at the big picture of actually how good are these teams as well. Is, I mean, is there anyone there that stands out for you, Luke? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, just to touch on what you said, I think that's that's basically the bias, isn't it, that we, we all have in us. Um, and I think sometimes that that is why it is beneficial to come in totally fresh for a new season. Like if you would just throw yourself into FPL for the first ever time, but then obviously spend the time to research it and look to the numbers, you probably would be able to avoid a lot of those loopholes. I mean, someone like Odegaard probably fits that category as well, where people have a perception of him, what he was like before, and then suddenly things start to change slightly. Almiron, you know, these things can affect us negatively as well. Um, From the table, I mean, it's interesting they project season total points. He's got Man City and uh, Arsenal identical, 85.25, so it looks like it's Mm. going to go to the wire for the title, according to the spread market. Um, I think this does take into account as well, like, the market in terms of um, who's likely to bet and who they're likely to bet on as well slightly, doesn't it? I think I might be right there. So you you have to take that into account. So in other words, Liverpool have got a heavy fan base and they might be heavily favoured by people betting on them. So maybe it's slightly adjusted sure. to give them slightly more. You just see what I'm saying? The odds are slightly better yeah, as yeah. a result. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with, with much of it. Um, I think... I think in regards to Liverpool outscoring Arsenal from now to the end of the season, it is hard to see that right now. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah. you know, the way they're playing. Um, I'd also say the fact that Liverpool Champions League still, um, you know, that's that's something to come as well. Mm, I'm not sure about that, but at the end of the day, <laughs> who am I to question it? So we'll have to see. 
I think Villa are quite high, 1.25. It says they're going to score pretty well. So I know they've obviously got Emery come in. Um, and when I look at the teams below them on that in terms of points per game, it's hard to pick out maybe someone who would score more than them, but it does feel a little bit high for them. It's hard for me to imagine them as like, what's that, the eighth or ninth best team there in the league? Uh, yeah, yeah. But then I suppose they're almost in a bracket, I would say. You know, this is the thing with football. Aston Villa, West Ham, Brentford, Leicester, all of these guys, you know, that they all can turn up in a game and then just be terrible in a game as well the next week, aren't they? So it's it's quite yeah. tricky to get a hold on it. West Ham being incredibly high when they're in the bottom three. They're obviously really heavily favoured to get out of it then based on that, um, yeah. which is interesting. But based on the, based on like the underlying data as well, like their defence. I don't know. I mean, it they've might massively the last... underperformed in attack, haven't they? In terms uh, of their, their xG's been okay, and they're defensively as well. There's been loads of games where, mm. well, earlier in the season there was quite a few games where they didn't concede many chances, but they conceded one goal and didn't score. So they weren't conceding that many goals and weren't getting that many clean sheets, but they were often conceding one per game, which we've touched on before. And I, another thing I'd say based on this is if you look at the point the. Uh, the projections of points per game. There's just like a real obvious top eight now. So if you take the tradition, what you call the traditional top six, I think everyone mm. knows what I mean when I say that, and then just throw Newcastle and Brighton in there. Like the gap between Brighton and Villa is 0.25 points per game, which is actually pretty significant. That's yeah. the biggest biggest gap between two teams next to each other, apart from City at the top and Bournemouth near the bottom, I think. Um, so I think Brighton and Newcastle, like, they're going to be seriously challenging for the Europa League. I think people know that already, but there's reason to believe that will be maintained. Um, I think a lot of that uh, we know based on the last couple of seasons as well. They've been doing really well, and they seem to be even better this season yeah. uh, also, which is, again, an interesting one with um, potential doubles coming up for them and, and who you go for. Yeah, and, and in that top eight, the fact that Brighton and Newcastle's players are priced so cheaply, it makes mm. them even more appealing, I guess, right, for, for FPL point of view. I mean, obviously, whether they win, lose or draw a game is irrelevant to us. But if you're generally winning games, the you know the the lead on to that is the fact that you're probably getting more clean sheets and you're probably getting more goals and assists and stuff in general. So, not a direct correlation, but mm. you, you would guess that that would be the case. And obviously, yeah, the fact that they're so cheap just means that they're quite standout. The problem we were and we were discussing it just briefly before we went online is money doesn't seem to be much of an issue this season, just simply because I think the pricing was was poor in general, like across the yep. board. But I suppose they can't. What they can't account for is the fact that many of the premium assets in the game just aren't performing to the levels that we should expect. So that also ties into the fact that then there's just money flying around everywhere. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think Bournemouth right at the bottom there. Again, I was doing a little work on some stats. I was doing on Twitter the other day and looking at their numbers and stuff. They were just it's just horrendous. I mean, if it wasn't clear by now, targeting Bournemouth just looks an extremely lucrative fixture. It doesn't look like they can fashion a chance particularly well. It doesn't look like they've got a goal in them. Slanky's out. So in terms of clean sheets, it looks pretty obvious, you know, and, and they just seem to just offer nothing really. They ship, ship goals as well. So if they were to double the amount of goals that they've, um, that they've uh, conceded so far, they end up as one of the worst defences in Premier League history, joint with quite a few people. So well, yeah, it's, um, I had them down as sixth actually. So joint sixth with a number of teams, but there's only five teams in Premier League history that would have had conceded more goals than them in a, in a season. And some of those include Swindon, for example, when it was like 42 games in 92 and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. They're, they're probably a lot worse than we actually think. Um, so mm. they're, they're definitely a team worth targeting. The thing is, at the moment, with all the blanks and doubles, it doesn't feel like many people have the option to just sort of go Bournemouth hunting, does it? So I suppose it's just one to bear in mind more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think just touching on what you said there about 
Well, we've talked about loads this season, but the underpricing, honestly, I think that's really, I think that's made the game a lot worse this season. I mean, generally, we do own players from those big six teams, um, or big eight, big seven or eight as it is this year. But this year, like, it's just so easy to. So, for example, I was looking at the fixtures this weekend, just this afternoon. It's just, I don't know, I like to have a little, little look, see when my players are playing. And this, this, because the, those big teams tend to play in the televised games and not at 3 p.m., that all the games at 3 p.m., there's four of them, and honestly, no one's going to have anyone playing. <laughs> Everton, West Ham, no one. Villa, no one. Southampton, no one's going to have anyone. Maybe some people have a Brighton player. Maybe some people play Danny Ward for Leicester. No one has a Forest player. No one has a Bournemouth player. So you've got eight teams playing at the same time at 3, at 3 p.m., and the average player will have zero or one yeah, player. I've, I've never known it so condensed, I'll be honest. I know people yeah. always say, oh, this season, this, and you know, when you go back, it's it's actually quite similar, but it does feel so condensed to the top teams this season, like unbelievably, not just amongst engaged managers, against with casuals, everyone. There's just no reason to have any players from the teams you just mentioned, pretty much. And, yeah. and a whole a whole host of them. And FPL have got to take some of the blame for that, I think. From an enjoy, just an enjoyment point of view, like the three PM kickoffs in previous seasons are like one of the funnest part of the game because all mm. everything happens in one go. Even if you've only got four fixtures, like it is now, like everything happens because you've got Monday night football. You've got eight teams playing, eight teams playing at the same time. So many goals going in, and like that can like define your game week. But now it's always like, yeah, it's the five thirty, which is great because I suppose it's great in some ways because you can watch your players play more. But I don't know, I like I like it when you have more players from lower teams and when the the, the pricing's higher uh, in general. I think it just makes the game way more interesting. But yeah, we've we've done that to death. <laughs> I think everyone knows that now. No worries. Um, I'll I'll move on to um, this is another graphic from uh, We Rogue on Twitter. Uh, sorry, it's quite small for me to see on here, but it's at We as in W E E underscore Rogue R O G U E. He's uh, another analytical guy who's got loads of helpful stuff on his Twitter. Um, he's a really good player, and I think we've used this graphic previously uh, on one of our pods. But um, I don't know if you want to go ahead and explain it for us, Sam, for the people watching. Yeah. So. Um... So where the, where you see the club badge uh, on this uh, on this graph? So for those listening, we're showing a graph on the uh, y-axis. You can see the predicted goals conceded per match um, against an average opponent, and on the x-axis is the same, but for the predicted goals scores scored. So essentially, the further to the top right on the graph they are, the better the team is overall. Um, uh, on top of that, so you've got the club badges there, but you've also got little lines coming from the club badges, which shows where those where they've moved within the last six weeks. So I guess we wanted to show this just to say, to discuss, well, what's changed within the last six weeks? Uh, you know, those that six weeks of data being added um, to this uh, data set that we wrote has, how's that changed how we, uh, how good we think these teams are? So I guess we're looking a bit more recently now. And I think the main, <laughs> the thing that stands out straight away, like if you hadn't watched any football this season and saw this, you'd be saying, well, Man City are miles better than anyone else. They're still like way, way in the top right, which is why, you know, they're still predicted to, Come clo- to win the title or come close to winning it, because even though the gap is was it eight points now, five. I think so. Yeah, I'll have to look. Yeah, something like five, with eight, the, with, with five with the game in hand to Arsenal, something like that. Even though the gap's big and potentially even bigger, um, Man City, are, in my opinion, and based on data, like significantly better than any other team in the in the in the uh, league at the moment. Um, and that's not to say they're better than they were the last couple of seasons, though. And there's a couple of teams that have just Moved a lot, so we're going to move on and talk about the the big six or the the big eight, if it is now a big seven, um, 
uh, a bit later in terms of comparing to last season. But I thought there's just a couple of teams I wanted to pick out here, like a couple that stand out to me in terms of where they've moved in the last six weeks. Uh, firstly, Forest. So based on the data that's been added in the last six weeks, with six weeks, their defence is probably slightly better than we thought it was. I just think it's interesting because they signed so many players in the summer. So it's just probably, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep moving in that direction. And we're just seeing those signings basically just come together. And um, it's just taken time for them to, to gel and they're realising which signings were wrong and those players aren't playing and which ones improve the team. So Forrest, um, although based on the last graphic, last graphic, between now and the end of the season, they're expected to get, I think, the second or third least points. They're probably a bit better than we thought they were. They're better than Bournemouth. Um, so in terms of targeting them, not probably not quite the whipping boys we thought they were. And it's interesting as well because they, uh, I don't know if you saw in the news, they obviously made a silly amount of signings. Then they sacked their head of recruitment and their head of scouting yeah. a couple of months ago. And literally from the moment they sacked those two staff members, I don't know if it was more, suddenly they <laughs> Excuse me, they start to pick up form. <laughs> so it's almost like maybe they weren't patient enough. Maybe there are other reasons. Who knows? But I thought that was fairly, uh, fairly amusing. <laughs> yeah, I speak to um, I speak to Mark a lot. Um, Southerns, yeah. who's obviously the, the goat of FPL and esports Forest, and he's always been of the opinion that basically the manager is extremely good and mm. um, it will take time, but eventually they they will be better than what they've shown, and it it's seeming to go that way. I mean, I, I wouldn't get too excited yet. Obviously, there's quite a lot of noise in in small samples, and yeah. most of the sample of the league they have been bad, but the trajectory does look like it's going up, so we have to take notice of it. Um, and I think they have more of a settled team and a settled system at the moment. I agree with you. I don't think there is, especially at home, they look like they're, um, you know, they're, they're not world busters. You're not going to like knock Captain Harland or something because he's playing away to Forest, but they're obviously just not as much of a pushover as they once were. Um, so yeah, I yeah. think it's quite impressive. And I think I talked about this on Black Box as well on the, on, the, on the appearance. I think the level of coaching in the Premier League in general by most of the teams is just gone up a level, I think, compared to previous seasons. Like gone are the days of Sam Allardyce and, play, and people like that in the league. You know, but there's a, there's a couple maybe you could argue Frank Lampard. <clears throat> but, until, uh, until Allardyce comes in for Lampard. <laughs> until Allardyce comes into Lampard, yeah. But I just think in general, like the level has gone up quite a, quite a, quite a lot. And um, I saw in one of his interviews. Sorry, my kids are being really noisy in the background. I'm gonna scream at them in a second. I saw in one of his interviews about. Uh, talking about the differences between the Championship and the Premier League and he was just saying about even from set pieces the blocking that some of the top teams do and stuff that caught them off guard and they were learning to adapt with to that he's just very vocal and it's really nice to see I think in the media that he's talking through the struggles they're having of coping with the adjustment and what they're doing to do it so they're aware of the problems they're trying to solve the problems and they're learning on the job and I think that's probably what we're seeing there's a bit of a learning on the job for, for Cooper and Forrest and it seems to be coming through yeah, he's. Um, I thought it was such a good. I really enjoyed it when they then obviously started badly, and then they just gave him a new contract. I really think it was such a good statement. I I'm recording like, live. Can you be quiet, please? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I thought that was um, yeah, such a good statement that he was doing really poorly, and then they gave him a, a new contract. I just, it's just good to see, like in a day and age where um, managers are so quickly to be sacked and given a bit more time. And uh, it's one of the reasons I'm glad Nathan Jones has won his last couple of games at Southampton as well, because even like four Premier League games in, not just because of the results, because of the quality of football, Southampton fans are getting so frustrated with him. I don't know, if he'd have lost his next few, you never know, we could have seen him leave within like, just a few months. Yeah, it's so his name and where he's come from as well, isn't it? If you don't, <laughs> if you haven't got, like, if you're not a world superstar, they just don't want to give you any time whatsoever anymore, football fans. It's like, this guy's just a clown straight away. He's already got that before he's even touched down, which is unfortunate because... How's everyone, anyone ever going to prove themselves right if they just get labelled with that straight away? So, 
Sorry, I interrupted you, Dag. You go ahead. I was just going to say, just in, just on a humane level, you know, you, you don't want to see that happen to anyone. So you, you instantly, I start cheering for him straight away. Like, yeah, please, come on, make him good. And he's had a couple of good results. So long may it continue. Yeah. In the, whether he's actually any good or not, it's too early to say, I'd say. I'd love to see some research on the um, managers transitioning from like lower leagues to the top flight. And um, how like what percentage of time does that work out? How often are they still able to improve teams at that, that, that level? I imagine that's a very difficult thing to research, but it'd be interesting to see it. Because like he in the championship he was regarded for like years and years as one of the best managers in the whole of the football league. Like mm. he just overperformed with Luton for years to the point where he nearly promoted them. Mm. You know, got them into the into a playoff. I can't remember if they lost in the playoff final or I think semi final, but in the playoffs last year. So yeah, I hope he does well. And yeah, we've already touched on Everton there. I would just and I touched on them before as well, just their defence is a lot worse. This this sorry is just as bad this year, not a lot worse. So they're I had a quick look. So they're the thing that's not surprising with Everton is their XG this season, and this is reflected in their goals as well, has gone from it was one point two five per ninety last season, now it's one point zero five. So down by zero point two. But that's not surprising really because they've lost Cavalloon's been injured and they've lost Richarlison, probably their best player. Um but their expected goals against is pretty much the same and I found that really surprising. I thought Everton would be a lot more secure at the back this season based on signing Cody and Tarkovsky, but it probably says a lot about how significant a midfield is and defending from the front, how important that is. Or maybe those two players are just on the on the way down. But it's it's interesting that when uh, maybe a year ago now, yeah, when, when Newcastle initially had the big the takeover and all the money, like one of the big rumours was Tarkovsky going to Newcastle. But you couldn't imagine that at all a year on. Uh, no, I think, that, I, think, I think it does highlight though, like you say there, that I think defensive coaching for a team I don't think it comes down to the players as much as people ex- people think it does like there's no doubt the players make an impact especially when you're in one of the top teams and you're expected to dominate the ball and you need to have you know progressive passing and you need to be able to sort of defend one-on-one and have speed like 100% but I think for some of these lower level teams it's going to make a difference but it's all about how they set up mm-hmm. isn't it versus these teams how they work together as a unit how they how they filter in between each other when they pressure the ball a lot of that comes from the coaching and the unison, I think. So, yeah, I would expect a, a difference there, but um, I think the coach has probably got something to, to say to that. I really like that Onana um, guy in centre midfield for them. I think he looks mm. like he's a decent player, but I think he's also missed out through quite a few injuries as well, which is unfortunate for them. They signed Adrissa Gay back, and I thought, you know, he yeah. was really good when he was in the C- uh, Premier League before, but doesn't seem like he's the same player, unfortunately, for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've, they've had various... Um... Loads of good centre midfielders. Andre Gomez as well. He was really good for a time, and then he had the leg break. And it, just from chatting to Everton fans, just not been the same, the same player since then. Uh, it's just, it's the interesting thing with Everton is like I remember when Ancelotti was there, and the, the squad wasn't that different. It still was a similar level of squad in my opinion. It was a bit better. They had Richarlison, they had Rodriguez, but again, he was injured for a lot of that time, apart from the first seven or eight weeks. And Ancelotti finished, I think, tenth with them, around about mid-table. And like everyone felt really underwhelmed by the job Ancelotti had done, and then he moves to Real Madrid, wins the Champions League, and then you see the job. You know Benitez comes in, gets them into a relegation battle or near to one. Lampard nearly takes them down, and you look back in hindsight and think, yeah, you know, 
he's pretty good actually, wasn't he? <laughs> As a manager, considering he's four, four-time Champions League winner, turns out wasn't actually a bad coach. <laughs> he's he's got an identity, hasn't he? That's the thing to try and win a game, a style at least, an idea of what what he needs to do. But anyway, I'm sure we've smashed Everton to bits, and everyone in this pod is like, no one cares for the reasons you just said before. Which is we don't have any players, and we're not gonna we're not gonna, we're not gonna have any because of the way it's set up. Um, should we move on to? I think we've got. You've done some graphs here in regards to the top six or seven sides. Yeah, so I've just done I've just, what I've done here is again I just want to move a bit because we're just looking a bit more big picture now, a bit more of a discussion about how teams have changed. Go even further back and just I basically put together a, a, a couple of graphs. One based on expected uh, goals conceded per ninety, and the other one based based on expected goals per ninety. And literally just compared this season so far, where we're up to with most teams have played each other once or there thereabouts. Uh, compared to the whole of last season and just to see the major changes in teams because I reckon my guess would be that there's far bigger changes in this than you'd see in a normal season like some of the drop-offs you've seen in teams are huge so again for those listening you can see a graph with each of those seven teams I've not included Brighton actually it's the big six plus Newcastle and on the you can see one bar that shows the XG per 90 last season and one that shows it this season just to just to show that difference so we're looking at uh Expected, we're inspecting the expected goals um, and the other key thing straight away is Man City that drop off in XG is, is pretty big you know, it's a whole goal per 90 in terms of the quality of chances they're creating less um, uh, and Liverpool again is a big drop off not quite as big but close to that again as well and then you see the complete opposite with Newcastle uh, also I just think is it, particularly with those big three like City, Chelsea and Liverpool were so clearly the best attacking teams last season and that all three of them have dropped off massively. So I just think it'd be interesting to chat through those teams, uh, whether we think that's just like random, whether we think there's an obvious reason for that, whether we think that's likely to change in the future, uh, etc. Um, yeah, what, I don't know what your thoughts are initially looking at that. Yeah, I mean, it, it is only 18, 19 games for, for the likes of Man City. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, we've got to bear that in mind. But at the same time, that is a substantial drop-off, isn't it? Nearly one XG, mm. considering they've added Haaland. Teams not really changed too much. They've sold Jesus and Sterling, gained Haaland, gained Phillips, uh, and then gained a Kanji. I think that's the only changes. Maybe I've missed someone. I think that was it. Um, So, yeah, I I don't think it's overly surprising in terms of um, the fact that the whole team was geared previously to just dominate the ball and, and generate huge amounts of chances simply because of the nature of the players they have and playing a false nine basically gives you an extra midfielder um, so that's probably not overly surprising we've seen similar before where other teams do that and you know people always say oh my god if they had a, a big number nine up front they'd score loads of goals because they create so many chances but as soon as you put one of those in the team you're effectively taking away a player who helps create those chances in some ways in the team so you're going to have a knock-on effect we know Haaland um you know, he's outperformed XG his whole career, so um, it's not necessarily a problem. It's just, um, you know, you can see it now in, in the in the current games. They are struggling to find him with, with regularity. Mm. And I think some of that just comes in the way that their wingers are set up not, not quite the same. Obviously, Grealish and Mahrez are more about control. And I think that um, that's basically because he's terrified of, of being caught on the counter and the transitions, which keeps happening to them anyway. But he's he's so terrified of it. He's almost trying. He almost wants to smother the game now. I think it's more just like I want to control the game from start to finish. The opponent has no shots. We win. Well, the score's irrelevant. You take ten nil, obviously, but sort of one two nil um, and just dominate the game that way. And just like a standard two xg to zero xg would be like a perfect game for Pep. 
yeah. that's kind of the way he's been wanting to set up for a while. So I suppose that's reflected here. Um, yeah, you, you lose the pressing from the front as well a little bit as well because you don't have those Sterling and Azuz, the players that run around a lot more and, and handle that a lot better. And Foden even does that. So that could be one reason. It could just be variance. It could just be a number yeah. of things, right? It could be all sorts of different things that have affected it. Um, but that would probably be my best guess. I, th- I think as well last season, they when they had Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva in central midfield um, with Rodri, they were just such a good unit in midfield. They they ran it so well. And this season, because he wants to the makeup slightly different because of Haaland and the fullback situation, he hasn't run Bernardo Silva in the pivot with Rodri as much. Mm. And that combination has been rarely seen. So he's used Gundogan and used him more as an aggressive eight. So it just seems to be a whole knock-on effect, really, of the signing of Haaland. But I think that it doesn't necessarily make them better. Uh, but worse, sorry. I think that you know, there's probably other factors. I don't know what it, you think. Well, the easy comparison is like uh, is last season where a lot of people thought, including me, that signing Ronaldo, even though he scored a lot of goals, I think 17 league goals last year, overall made the team worse. But with in that example, you could clearly see like a really significant difference in the way the team played the setup for Ronaldo suddenly putting more crosses in the box the uh, the wide midfielders not um, cutting in and shooting and dribbling themselves as much it just changed the whole dynamic tactically less pressing from the front whereas I think with City like generally you watch them play and it's a very similar type of football like I don't I, I think, think the idea that Haaland's made them worse I think is a load of nonsense in my, in my opinion <laughs> I find that really hard to believe when you given the amount of goals he's scored so far and also from when I watched them play the, the style's not dramatically changed um, another thing I would mention is the fact if you go to the next graph which is the same just shows expected goals against um, the, the difference between last season and this season isn't massive in terms of defence so again even if you are frustrated with Man City defence like actually they're still a really good defence and it's been really frustrating to win Edison for example particularly with Kepa as well where you Play Kepa in his double oh, game. Oh no, it's unbelievable! Like yeah, literally well, every week, isn't it? Yeah, I, I put I put a, a tweet out about this. Actually, I found interesting. Edison has conceded forty percent of shots that have gone on target. So that's of all shots on target, by the way. So that's not even just good shots from inside the penalty area. That that includes all shots. So I'm, they've only <laughs> the stunning thing is they've only conceded forty five or forty six, whatever it was, shots on target the entire time in nineteen games. But that does include speculative efforts that are on target yeah. from like fifty yards. And forty well, like, percent of them yeah. have gone in before which is ridiculously high. I think he's so not, he's not suddenly become an awful goalkeeper, has he? No, like, no. So I mean I mean he hasn't been great. There's no two ways yeah. about it. But at yeah, the same yeah. time and he's not particularly good on one on ones. But at the same time, that's um you know, that's variance at work there for me as well. I think the end of the day sometimes when you shoot it's going to go in because they people have just hit the, the top corner or whatever happens you know and it's just a combination it's this whole thing i think that's happened to a lot of the top teams this season is that there's been a drop off in general from them there's been a, a massive uprise in the coaching standard of some of the other teams but then also some of these top teams have actually run bad as well because when we look at the stats they've just got unlucky in quite a few games and i think that's what amplifies our whole feeling of you know, they're just not up to it anymore. They're not going to turn it round. And the longer it goes on, the harder it is to get away from that. But like you showed in the in the spread markets right at the start, the indication is that it's not probably as bad as we perceive. Yeah. And also, it's not, you know, those shots from distance, like Damari Gray's goal uh, when Everton scored one against them the other week, there was the game against Leeds from the set piece. They just conceded from their first shot on target or maybe even their yeah, first shot on target. But even before Christmas, there was... I owned Edison quite early in, in the first 
Manchester derby. I think it was like 6-3 or 6-2 or something in the end. But Liverpool, sorry, City was so comfortable and then suddenly Anthony shot from like 25 yards and scored. So there's been lots of little things like that as well. But yeah, he's obviously not been playing well. Um, and, you know, he made a mistake probably in that Spurs game as well just yesterday. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't panic about Man City defence. In fact, I'd still look to, if you're currently on two of them, obviously you want to keep Haaland. Most people have a defender or De Bruyne, um, that third player, if, you, if you've got that option to fill, I would look for another defender um, uh, as well. I, I think like it's a really, it's far more secure than going for a midfielder that could be rotated. Um, yeah. Should we move on to, uh, I don't, well, we can go through all these teams if you want, but some of them we can skim over because we've just touched on them already. Well, we may as well make a few comments on a few of them. I mean, Liverpool, you're yeah. kind of, I mean, that's why the widely accepted opinion, isn't it? That Liverpool's midfield's not been replaced. It's not, it doesn't run as well as it did. And the, the pressure on the ball in general from Liverpool's not, not at the top level, combine that with injuries to some of their forward players. And it has an impact on the defence. Then you've got, I've got the defensive stats up here. Um, you know, they are conceding a hell of a lot more chances on we rogues. They were steadily coming down and down and down. So it's just really annoying because, you know, the players like Trent and Robertson were great picks last season. You know, everyone laughed at their price. At the end of the day, if they're not capable of keeping clean sheets, it doesn't really matter. You know, you need to have that on top, really, so to be effective because... There's not many fullbacks in world football that are hitting sort of the numbers that you'd require to be worth that money, you know, mm. if they aren't keeping the clean sheets every now and then alongside it in terms of assists and goals. So incredibly frustrating. I mean, that's probably the, I mean, I don't, if anyone else has got any ideas as to why Liverpool have dropped off so massively, feel free to put them in the chat, but that seems to be accepted and I can't really see any different. It is probably worth mentioning that we always do look for reasons for stuff, don't we, in this? And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a reason. It could just be a really bad run. They could have just got themselves in a bad run and you never know, they could just suddenly switch it round. You know, it, it, as much as it seems crazy to think that it would happen, I suppose it could. But, you know, Fabinho, that, that trifecta in midfield of like, well, when they're even fit of Henderson, Thiago, Fabinho just seems to be so different from what they were yeah. the last few seasons. I mean, mm. Wijnaldum leaving seems to have had a, a much bigger impact on them than they probably suspected, but there we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chelsea's, Chelsea's a bit of a similar issue, isn't it? I know they've changed yeah. the manager, they've lost Rudiger, but the central midfielders, they can't keep them fit. You know, Kansi, Kansi and Kovacic are fit um, at 100% ready to go in centre midfield. I think it makes a massive difference to that team. Combine it with, you know, using Reese James is probably one of the best full-backs or wing-backs in world football, in my opinion, when he's when he's fit, and then Chilwell has obviously showed that he was extremely good as well in that role. Um, that's that's a big loss to take out of the team. Yeah, everyone else is fairly similar, I'd say. Obviously, Arsenal, the fact that they've they've had a, an amazing season, everything seems to come has come good for them and come together. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. And then the the uh, Manchester United, we've, we've obviously seen the fact that they've got a new manager. I think the the difference between Solskjaer and uh, Ten Hag is probably, I mean, it could be yeah. Solskjaer in like a plant pot. It, there'd probably be a difference. Um, <laughs> <laughs> positive towards the plant pot, so that's fair. I think that I think that that was that was probably to be foreseen. Um, Newcastle one is surprising for me still, though. Like I know they yeah, got loads fine. more money. I know they got money, and I know they had some investment. But I think the difference between like what we I expected maybe a slight rise, they've just become astronomically good apparently, and, yeah. it, and it's it's in the stats as well. So it's not just I mean, there surely is going to be an element of run good as well, but. The stats are just so vastly different. And I just I didn't yeah. really see it coming to this level with, with not quite as much investment as I thought they may have. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's absolutely extraordinary what Newcastle are doing. And look, I think, yeah, because defensively they've signed Burn and Trippier and obviously you'd expect that to make a difference. But the extent to which they're playing better, I think so much of that is down to Eddie Howe. 
who like I personally and I think other people as well were really sceptical of him coming in because of his defensive record at Bournemouth even though he's clearly a good manager he's particularly that element and the fact that even when he came in was it in the January or just after like Newcastle weren't that far off the bottom three and he, I kind of thought he just needs to get someone in to shore it up but what he's done there with the players who were already at the club like Almiron uh, the centre-backs um, Joel Linton suddenly playing a different position. They haven't even had sent maximum. You just say he was their best player by comfortably. Well, most fans would have said he was their best player, the most important player when he was fit, and they've barely had yeah. him. And, and Isaac as well. Isaac, they signed him. I think he scored yeah. in his debut, maybe played a couple more, I can't remember, but barely played. Uh, and then he's been injured the whole time. And that of, of the whatever it is they spent, I don't know what it is, it, what is it, somewhere between 100 and 150 million. Like, he's a big chunk of that. Was he about 60 million or something? Mm. Um, but he was a bit, might not be that high, but he was a, a big chunk of that money that they've spent, and he's hardly played as well. So, yeah, I think it's brilliant. Um, for those watching as well, what you can see now is the, the last two graphs we've just shown you combined, so you can put put two and two together. So, yeah, I think like it's ridiculous what Newcastle are doing personally, um, and just be it'd be very interesting to see what they do moving forwards, depending depending where they finish the season, particularly if they finish fourth, whether they suddenly start signing huge stars. And that happens immediately, or whether they can keep the same model and it's a bit more steady. Mm. Um, I would think it'd probably be the former, would be my guess. <laughs> the, Champions, the attraction of Champions League football. Uh, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely interesting. And it's at both ends of the pitch as well, going forward and defensively. Players who are currently there, players they've signed, everything's just come together this season. Um, yeah, massively. And what you, what you touched on before when we were discussing the teams at the bottom of the league in terms of the, the manager making a difference. Uh, defensively, is not just Ten Hag's uh, clear superiority as like a coach in terms of them looking way more organised. It's also, I think, a lot, a lot of it's the experience and the character of the manager in uh, being willing to make changes as well. So again, going forward, it was it was so the way Ten Hag dealt with the whole Ronaldo thing was so impressive from the beginning mm. in being willing to drop him. But also defensively, the fact that he just dropped Maguire, I don't know if Maguire's going to stay or whether he's going to move in the January in January because he's just not getting any minutes. But he was willing to just make that change and he just knew that was the best of the team, whereas those things probably happened a bit more slowly. Yeah, I mean, Rashford's been a changed man pretty much as well, hasn't he, for, for this season at least. And then Casemiro, yeah. the signing of him, has been seems to be huge. I mean, every every time he's on the pitch, he just looks like an absolutely class act. I mean, the upgrade on McTomney and Fred there, you know, we did talk about the coaching and, and, and players don't have impact, you know, always have an impact. But I think in certain teams, you can point to a massive upgrade and it's very obvious, like pretty much straight away, that <laughs> they make a big impact. So, yeah. yeah, a combination of good things happening there at Man United. So it's good to see why people, um, you know, or, or see why people are positive on them moving forward and why the betting markets are, are positive on them moving forward as well. Mm. Um, I've just brought up this this sheet that I did right at the beginning of the season. And in my opinion, clean sheets are actually just mostly noise in the Premier League. I mean, expected goals conceded is a far better metric. You know, you could have two XG expected conceded and end up jamming a clean sheet and it, and it can be vice versa. Um, you know, just that one shot on target situation. But it is nice, I think, just to have a visual of like averagely what these teams have been doing over the last sort of five seasons. And, you know, on top of that, many of these, these teams have, have pretty much changed their entire 11 during this period. They've changed managers multiple times. So take it with a massive pinch of salt. But I think that you know, looking at Man City and seeing them 18, 20, 17, 19, 21 clean sheets in the last five seasons. That's how many they've got. Average of 19 across that. Um, you know, teams fairly similar to what it's been across that, I would say. Well, you know, maybe not for the later ages, but certainly 21, 
um, and 22, Pep Guardiola in charge. You know, that's what, what we could roughly expect to see um, in terms of clean sheets. And they're on seven currently uh, from half the games played. So that, to regress to the mean, they need a, a whole lot of clean sheets. You know, if they were able to get 10, though, for example, in this back sort of 19, 18 games, they would hit the 17, which is probably the lowest they had in the last five years. So is it possible? I mean, absolutely it's possible, but it's a big drop off, isn't it? They're going to have to go some way to get that now, I would suggest. Um yeah, you can see stuff like Liverpool, massive drop-off. They've pretty, pretty much switched with Newcastle. Newcastle right down there, a 9, 11, 11, 7, 8, an average of 9.2 clean sheets a season. They're already on 11 for the season. So they're already at their, their best total of the past four years, uh, halfway through. So massive change from them. Um, and I say Arsenal as well. have been fairly middling there at sort of 13, 8, 10, 12, 13, average of 11.2. I think they're also on 11 or 10 or something clean sheets. Maybe I've given them too many there. I can't remember how many they are, but it's it's around that number or maybe just below. Um, so, yeah, it's just I don't know if anyone else finds that fairly interesting. but Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, I mean... Well, I think more like based on what you just said, like it's not we're not showing this to say, oh, this is what you expect <laughs> in terms of specifically this season because the team is so different. But it's just yeah, it's just interesting to look at it and just um, to see what you generally expect from teams. Because uh, even yeah, the Newcastle one's crazy, isn't it? It really is. But I think what it also highlights is that occasionally you will see like maybe Man City have been the most consistent there, but. You can look at Chelsea and they've gone 16, 16, 9, 18, 16. Yeah. So there are random seasons where, you know, there can be a, a big change uh, and it happens for, for all teams. What I did notice is that most of the teams, in, you know, not the top four teams, um, generally don't sort of go massively higher than their average. You see all the other teams are usually around the same area. There doesn't seem to be a massive standout where there's just a big jump. You could argue Everton getting 14 clean sheets in 18, 19 compared to 9. You know, that's fairly substantial. It's about a five difference. But it's really the bigger teams will occasionally have a season where they just drop off massively in the amount of clean sheets. That's what I sort of noticed as a bit of a pattern. But again, we're just looking at you know, random numbers here, so there's probably not too much to take to it. But we're seeing it this season. You know, Man City, Liverpool and Chelsea are all having lower clean sheets than um, you know their average for a number of seasons now. So it just happens to be one of those things that's happened <laughs> altogether, seemingly. Yeah, it's interesting that it's all coming exactly the same time, isn't it? And... Um... You see there's some seasons, don't you? But it's always like a big anomaly. Like uh, Leicester won the league, suddenly they, they finished 10th. A similar thing happened with Chelsea. It was under Mourinho. When he came back, didn't he come back and win it? And then the next season they were like 10th and he left or something. Yeah. And it yeah. all like fell apart. But it's always like a big... It's always really unusual. And although City aren't suddenly 10th, their drop-off in like points is massive still and their drop-off in performances is huge. Liverpool are like 9th or something. Um, so it's happened to... Chelsea are like struggling to get into Europe, like, it's interesting that it's all happened, and probably just random, but it makes the league really interesting, the fact that it's all happened in one season. Like, I think, I don't support Arsenal or Man City, but I really would love it if Arsenal won the title, just because it'd be good for the Premier League. Um, Absolutely. It's quite, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how, like, Pep, well, Arthur, Arthur, I don't think he was assistant, but, like, one of his main coaches at City, he sold them Zinchenko and Jesus. I wonder if he reg- he's given them a manager. I wonder if he regrets it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I mean, he could, he could have just, just been times when he could have been could have done with them. To be fair, yeah. um, couldn't really do much about it. Sterling as well wanted to leave, didn't he? I bet he could do with him at various points, but he's not exactly set the world alight at Chelsea so far either. Not yet, no, no. Not yet, no. Um, 
I've brought up on the screen now, just um, this is from Mikel on Twitter, who runs his algorithm. We used this uh, last pod, I believe, as well, just in reference to um, the fixtures upcoming. And uh, it's got sort of the potential for doubles and blanks and the percent uh, in terms of the chance for that fixture to go ahead. So if it's less than one, um, obviously there's more chance that that'll be a blank. If it's over one, there's a chance that that'll be a double. And then if it's just a, a flat two, then obviously it's confirmed. Um, so yeah, we've got the, the Man United Leeds game. I took this just before it was pretty much confirmed, but, um, it's not actually 100%, is it? Cause it obviously relies on that league. So maybe that is actually accurate at 1.78 because I suppose yeah. they can still force a, that to be off, can't they? If they draw. Mm. Um, yeah, has that impacted at all on any of your plans? Because I know that we said right at the start, it's more of a saving week for most people. And I think that's our general advice. If you can save this week, that seems to be the way to go. But now we've, I've got confirmation that at least the game will go ahead under those circumstances. It does tempt me now to maybe move to a, a Leeds or a Man United player early. Not not Man United, actually, if they play Arsenal, but basically a Leeds player. Is that something yeah, you considered? Yeah. Um, no, not for this week, just because uh, I don't think I need to. If, if Darwin wasn't... I've still got Darwin, I know. Not many people do. Um, if, if he, and I'm glad I have him for this week, actually, because I nearly sold him for a hit. And uh, I, would, I would have done if there, was, if there wasn't uncertainty about Martial. Um, so the fact I still have him and he's now back training, I don't think I'll need to make a transfer. Um, and like I was already, you know, it seems pretty likely to me already. This Leeds and Arsenal, fi- Leeds and Man United fixture being there as well, so it doesn't change a lot. And I think for most people, because I'll have two transfers in 22, there's just an obvious thing of bringing two players from those four teams in 22, and then an extra one in 23. Um, seems to be the, the easy thing to do. So for me, for example, with my team, I've got two. Uh, I've got two United players, yeah, Rashford and Shaw, and I've got two City players, Edison and Haaland. So I'll basically be choosing my third United player, my third City player, and I'll probably get one extra uh, as well because I have three transfers over those two game weeks. Which, yeah, maybe will be. I've already got three Arsenal, so yeah, that'll be a Leeds player. I'd imagine. I can't imagine myself not using that transfer on a on a double game week player uh, that game week. And yeah, this that Gunon Gunonto. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's, well, you're he's, having a stroke for a minute <laughs> no I'm alright I'm okay um, Gnanto, um is like an amazing player and just seems like a really fun player to own and like, we have hardly any data on him but he's coming and if you feel confident he's going to start those two games I think he's a pick that most people will go for because he's so cheap and then if after the game week he starts to or stops playing really regularly suddenly he's just your third cheap striker and he's not you know there's no uh, worry about taking up a lead spot. Uh, Rodrigo is a really interesting one. Like again, it all comes down to minutes. But people feel confident he's going to play regularly. His projected score on, on review is really high mm. uh, during that double game week. Um, also, yeah. so yeah, I, I imagine I'll buy a United player, City player, and a Leeds player over the next. Well, Rodrigo's non-penalty XGI was in the top ten players in the league um, not so long ago. I don't know if it's still yeah. that way, but when I checked it, it was him and Banford were both there. I think I talked about it before. So. <laughs> You know, the fact that he probably has penalties as well, I, d- I don't know if it's for sure when Bamford's on the pitch, if they play together, I think there's probably a conversation there, but um, that doesn't seem to be happening too often. So um, add that on top, and he is really appealing, so it just comes down to the minutes. So, yeah, I'm not sure. They just obviously signed this new striker as well. I think if you are on the 3-5-2 setup, then it just makes total sense to get Notto, Gonotto, or whatever you say, um, on the left wing. Playing yeah. for Leeds, playing you know as as your third striker, because to be honest, it's not a massive difference, is it? Uh, because the money's so 
uh, freely spendable at the moment to sort of make that upgrade and then just leave him on the bench. And then it actually means you've got a playing player on the bench rather than Greenwood as well moving forward. So probably just a general upgrade to your team if you're running with a 3-5-2. So I kind of like that. Um, I'm not in that situation. For me, it probably would have to be um, Rodrigo in for Martinelli. Um, so I don't, I don't know whether I'm going to do it because my plan was always to save this week. But Arsenal are playing Man United. Um and Leeds are playing, is it Forest they're playing this week? Oh no, sorry, they're playing Brentford, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so a decent game at home, and then they go straight into a double if it occurs. If it doesn't occur, it's Forest anyway, so I think, well, that's fine, you'll just take it on the chin. Um, so I'm tempted to do that, because obviously the signing of Trossard for Arsenal just makes me question Martinelli a little bit more. Like, I don't think it's like an instant he just comes in and replaces him. I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure, but I don't think that will happen. But he is obviously a top-tier player, and that is, is his prime position, really. Sort of that left-wing spot, isn't it? So I think, what, if anything, what you might see is Trossard come on for the last 20 minutes or so in games more often and just start to limit Martinelli's minutes a little bit. Um, mm. So I think what my plan really is, I can go from Martinelli um, to Rodrigo, see out this game, hopefully a double, and then in 23, it gives my Arsenal option back open to me. And remember yeah. I said about going to Odegaard before, which I really yeah. wish I had done, and I just didn't do. I can then go back to Odegaard at that point. So that's kind of my plan. The only thing is, if, you, if, you, if you're almost pre-booking those moves, we know what happens in FPL, don't we? <laughs> it, it doesn't go to type. Someone gets injured, someone gets dropped. You know, if you're, so I was just going to say, if you're like really confident that whatever happens, you'll own Rodrigo in 22. Like, if you're really confident that if you don't buy him this week, you'll buy him next week, then, yeah, maybe just do it now. Yeah, I suppose, but then there's, there's actually, there's a, there's a big period of time and there's a lot of games to be played, isn't there, where injuries and stuff could happen. Yeah. So that's the, that's the issue. I still think it probably makes sense to, to save the transfer. And it's not just an, it's, excuse me, it's not just an, an injury to, um, a Rodrigo as well. It could, it could be an injury to a Man United player and suddenly you need yeah, to have exactly. a third United player or a yeah, I mean, Man Martial's one, for example, this week where people went to Martial to get their three Man United, third Man United player. Um, you know, he was a bit of a risk, and now suddenly it looks like he's not missed training again. I've seen today. Yeah, so then, I, yeah. yeah. So I don't know yet because it's a while off. But if he's suddenly a doubt going into 22, then you're suddenly maybe booking two transfers for yourself to get rid of him and to get someone in, and then also get someone else, which wouldn't be a forward presumably because. Um, you'd probably have to go to Weghorst and it would be a similar situation. So then you'd have to maybe look at a midfielder or a defender. And it's like, yeah, it's it, sort of pre-planning too early for the double game, which rather than reacting in the week you're in can cause those situations sometimes, especially when you're tri- it moves you to a trip up. So, yeah. Yeah, I, would, I, yeah would we, I think I would say, I'm sure you'd agree, that for most people, the best thing to do is to roll this week. Um, I think it probably is the case for you as well, because tempted as you might be. Mm, we'll I, think that, I, I, think that, I think that probably makes the most sense. And also, it gives you another week to see kind of what happens with Trossard as well. See, who, even if it's just one game, you'll see who he comes on for off the bench. Mm. And again, it's one game, but it gives you an indication. Like if he comes on for Martinelli on the 60th minute, there's more chance that that keeps happening. Um, but if he suddenly comes on for Odegaard, for example, then um, you might, yeah, change your mind on that transfer. Who knows? Like um, just a, a lot of so these all these little things that can happen, isn't it? Or yeah. like Har- Harlan could get injured. And suddenly you've got you've, that's a transfer you need to make, and you could be out for months. And then suddenly that's a transfer you need to make. Yeah, I mean Alvarez so would like, be everyone's top priority instantly, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Also with the lead situation, the fact that Bamford's there and they just signed that new striker, Rutter, as well, just means we don't fully know the makeup of where Rodrigo's minutes will be and where he will play. 
So, yeah, tempting to go early, but I'm not sure I'll do it. That's probably my move. Um, yeah, so you're, you're saving then this week for, for pretty much certain then. Yeah, saving. And then I think um, the 12.30 game is, is, is um, Liverpool against Chelsea. And I'll, I've still got Salah and Darwin. So I feel like that'll just define my week straight away. If they both blank, and particularly if Chelsea get a clean sheet and everyone gets Kepa points, I'm just going to be screwed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if, if, if they if, yeah, Salah or Darwin scores and gets rid of their clean sheet, that'll be lovely. But we'll see. Well, I've had Salah and Darwin the entire time like you. I only sold Darwin for Tony like last week because he got injured. Mm-hmm. I already want him back, though. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I'm just maybe just addicted to pain. But, yeah, having that as 12.30... That's Is, yeah. It's going to be tough to take if they blank again. So much of the budget in one attack, isn't it? And then they just, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I miss him, though. He he provides me some joy because it's quite, you know, going back to what we said about the pricing and stuff, it's forced quite template teams, I think. And it's, you know, in, in my 11, there's probably only about two or three players I can actually cheer for in any given week to actually do much, to actually have an impact on my rank. And uh, it's fun having Darwin as one of them because obviously being people who are heavily into their stats, his stats are absolutely outrageous. So you just want to see that actually comes to fruition when everyone else doubts him and he's sat in your team. So for me not to have him in my team now is actually like, I don't like it at all because you just feel like you're going to miss out on the hall when it inevitably comes. Yeah. I'm just looking at livefpl.net to see what his ownership is. Yeah, Dar- yeah Darwin's ownership is like six. Yeah, it is, uh, my rank's 8% and Salah's wow. is, is 25%. Like, that's so low. So he's, he's a really exciting player to own. Like, his underlying data is phenomenal. So I like strongly believe that long term he's going to be amazing. Like I think he's going to have an amazing career. I think he'll have a great rest of his season. Like I just think that will catch up. He's not going to keep missing those chances. It's not even like it's always bad finishing. Like there was the one against, I think it was Brentford, where Brentford beat them. He rounded the keeper, passed it into the net, and it was basically just a great block by Ben Mee to get the line. Most of the time, that goes either side of me or me doesn't get back onto the line on time. It'll be so interesting like, to see what his minutes well. are like, though, right, moving forward, because they have obviously got a number of players. So when Jota and Firmino are fit, yeah. and now they've They're got both... Gakpo as yeah. well, and then Luis Diaz is coming back, suddenly yeah. is he a problem then at that point? Like, I don't yeah. want it to be, but I imagine it probably will be, right? Sure, yeah, surely. I think, yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's probably likely it will be, particularly uh, with Champions League and stuff. Yeah, it'll so be less, winner... I think it'll be less secure, but uh, at the moment, yeah, Firmino, Jota and Diaz, none of them are back yet. No. So, and now it's good. So the window yeah, to own Darwin is pretty much now, isn't it? That's the thing until until that period. That, hoping that he's still starting by game week twenty five or twenty six if they, if they get a double as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really I was really pleased that I held that transfer actually because I was either going to do um, I was thinking about getting a Man City defender and then I realised that would mean taking out Dunk for Ake. I'm not sure was that. I thought there was a good chance Stones would come back uh, whenever he would come back and then suddenly Ake's not necessarily a player I want long term the other player I was, yeah, I was considering Martial for Darwin for a hit and yeah the, because I held that I started Bueno who got me a lovely six points and didn't take a hit so it would have been a disaster nice. either either of those with, with Darwin then coming back and being fit so I was pleased, very pleased with that decision it was the, the opposite of the mistake I made in buying Cucurella I think for a lot of people buying him wasn't a mistake but for my team it was because I had other problems in the team at the time It was I was just looking at this one game week to be honest, I knew he wasn't an option long term because Chilwell's coming back and it was way too short-sighted. It's just so funny because if you listen to that podcast back, we were like, well, you basically convinced me, yeah, go for sure. He's like a good balance. He's going to have a double probably and he's good long term. And I was like, oh yeah, I think it will be for sure actually. And you were like, yeah, I'm good. And you were like, yeah, yeah, we'll both go for him. And then <laughs> I buy Cucurello and you buy Dean. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't be left alone with sharp objects. Oh, 
Like, right. rid- ridiculous. Um, um, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> Um, right, uh, before we go, I'll push you on a few things, right? Because obviously we have got the double, and I know he's saving, but in terms of for 22, um, Leeds and Man United are the teams that double. So if you could pick the perfect three from each team, I don't expect anyone will have three from each, who would you pick from from, from the teams? Real, like realistically, with the budget, do you think? Um, yeah, I suppose make it realistic. No, I, I think make it realistic. So Man United, Rashford, I think Rashford, Shaw and Dallow. If Dallas fit. Okay, so um, you wouldn't have Bruno Fernandes. You'd have double defence. Uh, I think I probably would if I was free-hitting, but I think for most teams, getting Bruno probably means... I think a lot of people have De Bruyne now will be tempted to go De Bruyne to Bruno, straight back to De Bruyne. But I think for most people, or maybe people have, people have Mahrez and they can do that, I think for most people it's quite hard to get Bruno. Um, but yeah, if I was free-hitting, I'd 100% own Bruno and Rashford and then a defender. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because I, I need to work out who my third Man United player will be and I, I always have my eyes on Dallow so one of my cheaper defenders so I've got Dunk in my team who potentially could blank in 25 now rather than double early so I could do him for example yeah. um, to Dallow and double up on defence but I've also you know I've got the obvious route of Salah to, to Bruno um, yeah. the thing is Salah's games are I think they're Wolves and Everton in the time period so that, is it, that, that I would have Bruno for I would inevitably have them for and that, they just feel like good games for Salah. I just I hate losing Salah. Like I keep expecting the points to come for him, and I just don't know whether I can make that move. You know, this this week going into this week, that was also an option for me to do Salah to Bruno. Um, obviously Bruno gets 19 points and Salah got two, and it just I I need to try and not let that, that affect my decision. You know, it, we go again from zero essentially, but it's hard. It's incredibly hard. Yeah. I think he's going to yeah. be heavily favoured for the double, right? I think he's even going to be cap- captains and maybe triple captains. I don't know whether we should let Brilliant. that influence yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, guess will, I guess people will triple captain him. Yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let that influence you. I think it's just the fact that that's just the knock-on effect of that, isn't it, of the transfer you, you, transfers you lose and the, it's just unlikely. You, you're eventually going to transfer out of Bruno, I would imagine. Like, I don't see people getting him as a, as a player they want long term no I think and I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't have even done Salah or I didn't do Salah to De Bruyne last week like I but I'm a very cautious player though <laughs> um, so um, yeah so I definitely wouldn't do Brian Bruno knowing it's short term particularly from removing Salah or De Bruyne the thing um, is it's not overly short term right because they're, they're home to Palace then they're home to Leeds if the double goes on right which is obviously great then they play away to Leeds the week after. I would argue that's a good game for them as well. You know, if you, if you don't need to come off of him, this is because Arsenal have got a double, Man City have got a double. So it just depends on the nature of your team. But if you can then keep him, they're home to Leicester the week after in 24, and then 25 home to Brentford. Now, that's assuming all those games go ahead. I don't know for sure if they will, but that's a pretty good run where you could justify holding him, right, for a mm-hmm. period of time. So I do think he will be popular, especially amongst managers who aren't even considering any of the permutations of, of double game weeks and blanks amongst the masses. Is yeah, yeah it's, it's his underlying data in terms of goals that puts me off. Um, it's, and been, it's, it's, it's been it's good similar. ever since Ronaldo left though, right? Small sample, but it's been a lot better. Uh, yeah, but even in those, that's probably like based on when Ronaldo literally left. So like based on since the World Cup, I guess. Because like before this season, when Ronaldo was there, he still wasn't really playing. Mm, he played like four or five games or something, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's the underlying like XG particularly that puts me up, and it's the same with De Bruyne. Like, um, I prefer Salah to De Bruyne. It's because the the chance of a goal is so big. 
the chance of a return is probably quite similar from both, but it's just the five-point goals for a midfielder. Mm-hmm. And the penalties, yeah, of course, as well, which Bruno also has. Um, probably, almost definitely has. Triple um, E, does. Uh, not triple would I have. Rodrigo, Benanto, and... Um, I've probably not looked into it enough because I definitely don't plan on having three of these Meslier, right? But yeah, I guess so. I guess Meslier or... Again, because I've not looked into it enough, like, I guess... It's, yeah, I think Meslier, because I don't think you want to remove uh, the reality of the defenders a lot of people have. No. You, probably, you, know, you don't want to re- remove, like... Sure, no, we'll keep it realistic. Cetera, You're not going to buy a Leeds defender, are you? I think it would be pretty crazy to do so, so... Meslier, I think... yeah, even if you get four points from it, it's fine. Yeah. But I wouldn't, like, do that kind of transfer for a hit. But no, no. But it is a double game week. So I think, for example, if you had, um, I don't know, pretty much any other keeper in the game, really, you know, in that one week, the minus four for him, you, know, you, could, you can argue the whole thing. It's a minus two, especially if you don't think your keeper's getting a clean sheet. I think it could work. Yeah. It's probably not optimal. The thing I do, I think you should bear in mind for that is that in game week, and we're getting probably quite ahead of ourselves, in game week 28, um, there is actually a chance that uh, Lees would blank in that game week. So if you have uh, Edison and... Uh, Meslier, I think they're also got a chance to blank in 28, if I remember rightly looking. In 25 as well, I think. No, I'm not sure. No, in 25, uh, City play home to Bournemouth, I think it is. Let me just check. Sorry, Leeds, Leeds, yeah. No, because Edison and Kepa's the popular combo for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So the transfer this week, or in 22, would be Kepa to Meslier to get the double for Leeds. Yeah, yeah. Now that works short term, and in 25 it should be okay because you've got Edison playing Bournemouth, or actually away to Bournemouth in 25. So that's fine, even if Leeds blanked or anything happened with Chelsea. I think in 28 there's a good chance that Man City and Leeds could blank, sure. and therefore yeah. both of your keepers could end up. You could end up having to take another hit or do whatever. But yeah, but I don't think as many people own Edison as you think either. <laughs> <laughs> do you not? I think no, in the no. world people love him, mate. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Probably in terms of people listening to this, it's a lot more. But in general. Plus, yeah, it's not that many. But yeah, no, that's, that's definitely worth considering for sure. Um, and then one of the questions we had on Twitter, we've kind of already covered actually, was yeah, what three Arsenal players, if you could just reset your team now and just switch out your three Arsenal players, get three others, which three would you have? Um, uh, Saka, Odegaard, other two for sure. And I think, I think I'd probably have Inketia. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably have him. Mm. I mean, him or Gabriel is, I'll take either, to be honest with you, but Nketiah right now, just because they, you know, I prefer the, the double game week fixtures for attack rather than defence. Yeah. And I think given the nature of there's not many strikers that I particularly want, he just fills that, that hole pretty well. Yeah, I'm just looking at who they play, Brentford and uh, City, yeah. I mean, they're right near the top on um, on the transfer algorithm that you can see here from Mikel in terms of volume of fixtures from now to, to 29, or the chances of volume of fixtures. So it still makes sense just to target Arsenal looking at a long-term view. It's going to be huge, that game. is Arsenal City. Massive. On yeah, Wednesday, I mean... Wednesday night, live on Amazon Prime. We love it. Yeah, so I'd much rather have Inketia in that game than Gabriel, for example, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the Brentford game as well. Because mm. Brentford, yeah... Defence isn't great, but they do it. That's pretty good. Yeah, you just expect Tony to score, don't you? Um, so yeah, you're definitely targeting the attack. Yeah, I'd probably go the same three, actually. If I was resetting, I don't, as much as I do love Gabriel. Yeah, I don't think Martinelli's a problem, like, yet, yeah, but it just looks like it could be start going that way, right? And I think given 
the prices now and everything, and the fact that Odegaard's outperforming him stats-wise as well as actual returns, it just mm. you know it's, it's not a problem to make the switch. I think I'm happy, I'm comfortable doing it. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if Martinelli just outscores him for now for the rest of the season because he's, you know, in terms of actual goal output, I still think Martinelli is a touch above him. And you touched on it, midfielders there and their goal output. I know Odegaard's got probably I think eight goals so far this season, so more than him. But just in in other areas, Martinelli's like penalty area stats, everything that suggests that you know he should be closer to the goal and he is more of the forward player. I mean to me that. You know, he could end up getting getting more goals from now to the end of the season, even if that doesn't bear out in the XGI. I think his XGI is more sway, more weighted towards goals, though, than Odegaard's, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Um, Anything else, mate? Or are we done? No, um, just captaincy, I think. Yeah, for me, go on, you go first. <laughs> Do I need to, <laughs> is it even a conversation still? It's obviously Haaland. Like, I just don't see any other alternative. I know people yeah. are... There's a case that some people are making that um, his minutes might be managed simply because there's a tight turnaround. You know, that it's a Thursday late game and they play Sunday 2pm. So, you know, Saturday, Sunday, um, pretty well, sorry. So you've got Friday, probably a day of recovery. Saturday, you probably know more about this sort of thing than me. Probably some light training or something. And then Sunday straight into the game. Um, you know, yeah. we know he's got injury problems, etc. And when you look at their schedule... It's probably the easiest game they've got for a little while. They play like Spurs and they've got Villa and then they've got, eventually they have Forest, but they've got Champions League as well, not too far away. They've got uh, Arsenal in the FA Cup. So if you were looking at it from a bigger picture, if there's, a, if there's an opportunity, I suppose you can make a case for this one, but I just still don't see it. I think he plays. I think yeah. it's fine. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I think, um, well, based on what you said there, so they played last night, probably had the day off, if not really like training. Saturday, they're playing Saturday on, sorry, they're playing Sunday on Monday. They're playing Sunday at two o'clock. Sunday, yeah, uh, Saturday, like, it'll just be walkthroughs, which is where they just walk through, um, uh, patterns of play and walk through set pieces. So no actual, uh, training in terms of the physical, the physical load compared to a normal training session. And, and it's just, it's more based on, like, what we've seen from this, this season is when he's fit, he plays. Like, has there been a game where, has there been one where Harlan's been rested? Um, he, I can't even remember. He had, the, he had the injury for a short time, didn't he? He got injured like, and then he, he was. He's just played, we, hasn't he? Yeah, we got told that he was basically back and he was in training, but then he just continued to not play for a little while. So I think they just yeah. kind of basically lied, essentially. I know he was in training because we saw the pictures, but obviously wasn't uh, fully over the injury. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Captain Harland, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, even if you can somehow come up with a case to not go with Harland, you know, if Man City's form's not great, he's not been scoring as much of late. Blah blah blah. Wolves might make it tough for them. Who's the alternative? Like I just look at the games yeah. in this particular week, and I, there's no one that just massively jumps out at me. I suppose you could say Harry Kane away to Fulham is absolutely fine, but any better than Haaland? Not particularly. Outside that, you start looking at punts to me straight away, like like pretty much ridiculous punts. I suppose yeah. Salah's always an option. Rodrigo, <laughs> yeah, well maybe. Uh, the way um, my season's going, I may as well tank it with a <laughs> hail mary. Oh, uh, you're doing fine. 200k, like beginning of the season, 200k. Like you thought that was fine at this stage, I think. Yeah, it's just more because of where you were. Yeah, it's, um, it's annoying. To, I'd rather have been 200k and worked up than go the other way, yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, Salah home to Chelsea. Yeah, that, I mean, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't go there this week. Yeah, if Salah had a nicer fixture, if Salah had Brentford or Bournemouth or any team in the bottom half, I think Salah would be a really good, probably be the best captain this week. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think you've got to go to Haaland. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, should we end it there? Yeah, perfect. 
Let's do it. Right, thanks guys for joining. I think there's um, around 50 of you guys watching us live, which we appreciate on a Friday night when you've surely got more important things to do with your life um, rather than watch fantasy football content. Or, or is that not a thing for fantasy football viewers? <laughs> do they not have fun Friday nights? I don't know. I'm too old to care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, actually. I guess a lot of people on Friday, you know, chilling at home, having a drink, probably got some in the background, I reckon, mate. I don't think people sat in front of their TVs watching us, sadly. <laughs> no, maybe one day when we make it big. All right, well, we appreciate that. Thanks, guys. We'll try to be back. Um, it's thick and fast at the moment in terms of the fixtures and all over the place in our schedules, but um, we shall let you know and tweet from the account when we will pod again. Um, yeah, once again, thanks. It's goodbye from me. Yeah, cheers, guys. All the best. Thank you. See ya. Bye-bye. Captain Holland. <laughs>